Thank you, Pastor Self, and also Marisa. Turn your Bibles again, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I've been doing a series of messages on life-changing biblical principles. This is the last message of that series. It'll be part one and part two. I'll finish it up tonight. I'll be preaching tonight also. Encourage you to come. We're looking at truths that can literally change your life if you will apply them. Today, we'd like to look at the principle of usefulness. The principle of usefulness being used of God. Is it your desire that God would use you for his honor and glory? When I was in my early 20s, though I've been saved for many years, God really got a hold of my heart. I began to contemplate exactly what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. That he died for me and paid for my sin, was buried and rose again. And that God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for me on the cross. Because of his love, his sacrifice for me, it calls me to want to be used of God, to serve God. Then as a 20-year-old, 23-year-old young man, I dedicated my life to serve the Lord. And I told God, I remember in a prayer, I said, God, I want to be useful to you. If there ever comes a time in my life I cannot be used by you, take me home. I don't want to live on this life and on this earth and not being used by God. And so uh, that's my desire to be used by God because all he's done for me, I want to live and serve him. So we're going to get today one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is what you would call my life verse, a verse that God used for me to be in the ministry. And we're going to look at the principle of usefulness. We're going to look, first of all, the person that God uses. The person that God uses. Look in verse 26, please. We're going to look at three things from this passage. Look at God's calling, God's choosing, and God's glory. God's calling. Verse 26, look what it says here. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Here it talks about God's calling. And this calling is not the call to salvation but the call to service. He's speaking to those who are already saved. For you see your calling brethren. So this is a calling to those that are saved to serve the Lord, to serve him. And notice the people that God calls and the people that God has chosen to serve him. He tells us, first of all, that those that are rarely called. Those that are rarely called. To mention three of them here in verse 26. First of all, he says, For you see your calling brethren, have that not many wise men are called. Number one, the first of the group that are rarely called, the intellectuals, the smart, the learned. The intellectual, the smart, the learned. The word wise literally means mentally skilled, educated, learned. Not many of those are called uh, in God's service. Number two, the second group that are rarely called, it says, not many wise men, not many mighty. The word mighty means physically able, skilled, or strong. Number two, the, the physically gifted and talented. Those that are physically gifted and talented rarely are called to God's service. The intellectual are those most likely to see. In fact, what I did, let me give you a little background about your pastor. I'm a true Floridian. You got true Floridians here? I was born and raised in Florida, lived here all my life. I was born in Clearwater in 1953. If you want to figure out, I'm 69 years old. 
I lived in Clearwater until I was eight years old. I moved from there to a little town in North Florida called Chiefland, Florida. Very small town, lived there until 1968. Moved to Land Lakes in 1968 and lived here ever since. Uh, and when I moved here, I was in 10th grade. I went to Pasco High School. At that time, there was no high school in Land Lakes. You had to go all the way to Dade City to go to high school. They bused me over there. I went there and I graduated from Pasco High School in 1971. In fact, I brought my yearbook, because I'm going to use it as my yearbook of my high school in 1971. I'm going to share it with you in just a moment. Uh, at that time, I was considered an introvert. I was very quiet, very shy. I was much more comfortable being by myself and around people. I despised and fearful of getting in front of people and talking. When I graduated from high school, I went to Hillsbury Community College on the Dale Mabry campus in Tampa. I, my first year there, my freshman year, they, I had an English course. The English teacher, during the class, the first several classes, would sit down with each student and tell them what was required of them, what they had to do to pass the course, and also gave us a book we had to read and give an oral book report when we had to do that. And so about halfway through the class, they said, Mr. Peterson, you come forward, please. I walked to the front, sat down beside her at a desk during the class. I said, Mr. Peterson, I have a book for you to read, and you are required to give an oral book report on this, at this time. I said, ma'am, thank you. I'd be happy to read the book, but I will not give an oral book report. And I said that very kindly, very respectfully. She said, Mr. Peterson, if you don't give it, you'll fail. I didn't give it, and guess what? I failed. I failed college English because I refused to give an old book report. The fear, the fr fright of getting in front of people and giving a book report petrified me. I could not do that. And so it was also during that time uh, I was going to a, a small church. Though I was a member of First Baptist Church, I was going to a small church in Tampa under the ministry of Dr. Hank Lindstrom. And Dr. Lindstrom, God used him greatly to teach me the Bible. Under his ministry, I was called to the ministry. I was called to be a pastor, to be a preacher. You say, wait a minute, pastor. You can't get in front of people talking, and you're going to be called to be a preacher. Uh, so I went home. I told my folks, my family, I said, God's called me to preach. My brother laughed. My mama cried. <laughs> and so uh, and they could not understand why would God call someone to preach who could not even get in front of the class and give an oral book report. My friend, what God calls you to do, he'll give you the grace to do. And he did that. So basically, my first day at Florida Bible College, registering for classes in my freshman year, they had to go into this room. They had many desks set up. You had to go to these desks. Each desk had a representative of different ministries in the church, then also different courses you could take during your, as a freshman in Bible college. I can remember as I lined up there, I had my card, registration card, the first desk I come to was the ministry where they had music ministry. They had, they had tremendous uh, groups that would sing there. In fact, they would travel out and represent the school all over the country. And I went up there and handed them my card. And the person there, very kind, said, Oh, Mr. Peterson, glad to have you. I said, Mr. Peterson, this is the ministry where people have, they can sing. They have music groups. Mr. Peterson, are you a singer? I said, No, that's one thing I'm not. Then I went to this. I said, Thank you. went to the next uh, desk. There they had uh, instruments. They had orchestra and different things that you could play. And they said, Mr. Peterson, we, we have an orchestra here. Many of them travel with music group to play for them. Are you a musician? I said, no, that's one thing I'm not. 
the next desk was the athletic department. I went there and had some jocks there. I mean, very, Mr. Peterson, do you like sports? I said, I love sports. Can you play football? Are you a football an athletic? Uh, are you an athlete? I said, no, that's one thing I'm not. I went to, the further I got, the more depressed I got. Because after that, I, though I signed up for Bible class, I went to my room, believing I was called to God, and realized I had nothing they wanted. Everything they wanted, I was not. And I want to share that with you in just a moment. But I want you to notice the ones here that God has not called. God has not called the intellectual, the smart person. That's the person that would be the honor roll. The person who makes straight A's without studying. Now, many people make straight A's, but they have to work for it. This person has to work for it. They, just, they have the smart, they just listen, they do well without studying. That's the one who's most likely to succeed. In fact, here in my yearbook, in fact, in the, near the front of it, it has among the seniors, this is my senior year, it has here the most athletic, got two people chosen, the most best personality, the most school spirit, most likely to succeed, the most talented. By the way, you will not find me to any of those. It's interesting, when they had a 10-year anniversary of a graduating class, I was not even invited. They did not know who I was. Though I was in the book, though I graduated, no one knew who I was. But notice here, God is not called the most likely to succeed. He's not called those who are academically smart, those who made the honor society. God doesn't call many of them. He goes on to say, those physically gifted or talented, that means the most talented, the most athletic. My friend, God has not called too many of them. He goes on to say, not many mighty. Then he goes on to say, not many noble. The word noble means superior in birth, well-born, high rank. That means the upper class, the elite, the who's who, the one everybody knows, the most popular. God has not called too many of them. Now, I had a friend of mine in Bible college that he was very talented, very gifted. Everybody knew who he was. And uh, he said, I'm so grateful for the letter M in the Bible. I said, what do you mean? It didn't say he did not choose any of these. He did not choose many of them. Though you may have great talent. You may have high intelligence. You may be very someone everybody knows. My friend, God can use you, but he doesn't use too many of them. I'll tell you why in a moment. But that's God's calling. Now look at God's choosing. Look at the people that God has chosen. The one that God has chosen. Look at verse 27, please. Notice the first word is the word but. It's a contrast between those he calls uh, and those he chooses. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise. But, verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28, and base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Notice the threefold repetition, which said God hath chosen. He has not chosen, assuming he has chosen the foolish, he has chosen the weak, he has chosen the base. Basically, this emphasized the deliberate and willful action of God's choosing for his service. Notice the people that God has chosen. And we found that he did not chose many, he chose these to serve him. Number one, the unintelligent, those are not so smart. The unintelligent, not so smart. Said so God has chosen the foolish. The word foolish literally means dull, stupid. It means a mental blockhead. I thought that's the people God's chosen. Now, 
has not chose too many that make the honor roll. He's not chosen too many that are intellectual smart. He didn't say he didn't choose any. He said he has not chose many. But the person God chooses is those that are unintelligent, not so smart. Next, the second group of those he calls, is chosen, it says the physically incapable. He said God not chosen the weak, excuse me, God has chosen the foolish things in the world. God has chosen the weak things in the world. The word weak means more feeble, impotent, without strength. That's those who are not athletes, those who are not gifted and not musicians. God has chosen them to serve him. So he's chosen the foolish. He's chosen the weak. And notice the third group here. It says the unimportant and insignificant. The unimportant and insignificant. It goes on to say in verse 28, and base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. The word base means low or unknown, nobody knows. These are not the who's who's in, in the directory. These are not the ones who are intelligent. These are not the ones that are gifted. These are not the one nobody knows. These are the nobodies. Please listen. God has chosen nobodies to show himself to be somebody. God's chosen the nothings to show himself to be something. Then he goes on to say, to emphasize, look what he says. The further emphasis in the latter part of verse uh, 27 there, 28. He said, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, and the things which are what? David Peterson, are you a musician? No, that's one thing I'm not. David Peterson, are you an athlete? No, that's one thing I'm not. David Peterson, are you this? No, that's one thing I'm not. And the more I went, I realized I don't have what they want. But I went to my room and depressed, wanting to quit and give up. God used this verse. God said, I've chosen the foolish. I've chosen the weak. I've chosen the nobodies. I've chosen those which are nothing. That's the ones I chose. I got excited. I started shouting in my room. I'm the one God chose. I may be the world's reject, but I'm God's choice. My friend, you may be that person. Now, forget that. We're going further. You may be very smart. Praise the Lord. You may be very gifted. Hallelujah. You may be someone everybody knows. My friend, God can use you, but not many like you are uh, chosen. Why? Why is it that God does not choose too many intellectuals, too many gifted, too many everybody knows? The reason why, the third point, is God's glory. God's glory. Let me back up. When God called people to use, he turned down the world's standards. Uh, he turned the world's standards upside down and usually chose the ordinary rather than the outstanding in order that no one may boast before him, but only in the Lord. Here's the reason God does not choose too many intellectuals, too many gifted and too many nobles, because they have a tendency to take credit for what God does. They say, look what I've done because of my intellect because of my gifts, look what I'm able to accomplish for God. They take the credit. Listen carefully. God will share his glory with no man. Now, many a Christian have put on the shelf, though they're gifted, talented, because they take the glory for what God done in their life. God said, I can't use you. He goes on to say in verse 29, why didn't he choose the foolish, the weak, and the base? That no flesh should glory in his presence. First of all, the reason he, God's choice is to remove all self-boasting. To remove all self-boasting. Those that are talented, intelligent, gifted, everybody knows the somebodies in society, 
God can use them, but not many, because they have a tendency to take credit for what God does. But listen to me carefully, please. When God uses the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised, and the nobodies, they don't take the credit for it. They say, to God be the glory, what God has done in my life. They have nothing to take credit for. <laughs> they say, God be the glory. My friend, God will use that person. Because for God to get all the glory, look in Isaiah 42, verse 8. I believe it will be on the screen. God said, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory will I not give to another. Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, even my own sake, will I do it. I will not give my glory to another. So the reason God does not use, use call many of the intellectuals, the gifted, and everybody knows, because they have a tendency to take the credit. But I'm so glad God chose the foolish, aren't you? I'm so glad he chose the weak. I'm so glad he chose the base. I'm so glad he chose the despised. I'm so glad he chose those which are not. Because when they are used of God, they take no credit. They say, look what God has done through this nobody. My friend, again, let me say this. Maybe you're here today and you feel like a nobody. Stand up and shout because you're the one God chose. You may feel like nothing in God's society. Maybe the reject, maybe when they were uh, playing sports, and everybody lined up to play. Maybe you were the last one they were chosen because they leave the weak for last. You may be the last choice of men. You're the first choice of God. My friend, you're the one God has chosen to use. That's the person God used. Number two, now let's look at the qualities necessary to be used of God. The qualities necessary to be used of God. Three of them. Number one, is availability. Availability. The first quality necessary, if you want to be used of God, you need to be available for God to use. We will not turn there. In fact, I'm going to preach on this message, this verse tonight. Uh, Isaiah 6, verse 8. But God had a job to do, had a message to get out, and he was looking for someone to do the job. In Isaiah 6, 8, it said this. Also, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who shall, will go for us? What did Isaiah say? He said, here am I. Use me. Here am I. He made himself available. So if you want to be used of God, you need to make yourself available. Number two, the second necessary quality to be used of God is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Everybody turn there if you would, please. Page 1605. Another great verse, the people that God used. He used those who make themselves available. Here am I, Lord, send me. The next is faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to misread a verse here, so please look at it carefully. Someone said you can better understand what the Bible says by realizing what it does not say. Look in verse 1. I'm going to misread verse 2. Verse 1. Paul said, let a man so account of us as the ministers, means the servants of Christ, and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found intelligent. Does it say that? Oh, I'm sorry, I misread that. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found gifted. Does it say that? No. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found good-looking. Does it say that? No. It's required... And then the man be found what? Faithful. 
My friend, I may not be gifted. I may not be talented. I may not be intelligent. I may not be good looking. But I can be faithful. That's a quality every Christian can have. Not all of us can be intelligent. Not all of us can be good looking. Not all of us can be gifted. But you can be faithful. Without that, God cannot and will not use you. You need to make yourself available. You need to be faithful. Faithful to God's house. Faithful to reading your Bible. Faithful to praying. Faithful to witnessing. Faithful to whatever God's called you to do. I don't know about you. I told God a long time ago, God, I may not have what the world wants. I may not have much to offer. But I can be faithful. I can be faithful. Number three, the third quality necessary to be used of God is personal purity. Is personal purity. Turn to me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2, page 1675. 2 Timothy chapter 2, personal purity. If we want to be used of God, God cannot use a dirty vessel. God will not use a dirty vessel. He uses vessels that keep themselves clean and pure from this world in its sinful ways. 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. In verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from what? Iniquity. Remember that word iniquity. We're coming back to that in a moment. Verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth and some to honor, and some to dishonor. What he's saying in the illustration here, in many big houses, there's many different vessels. There are vessels they use as vessels of honor, usually gold and silver. These are the plates, the utensils used to feed company, feed people to come to your house, for people that are special. Use these special vessels, these special things to feed people with, vessels of honor. But also there's vessels of wood and earth, vessels of dishonor. These are the cups, the buckets you may use for waste, for trash, things that are filthy. That's in them. But the Bible says in verse 21, with that comparison, vessels of honor that can be used, vessels of dishonor that cannot be used. Verse 21, he said, if a man therefore purge himself from these, circle the word these, draw a line back to the last word in verse 19, iniquity. The man will purge himself, thoroughly cleanse himself from iniquity. Notice here, he shall be a what? Boy, you're quiet on me. Did I lose you already? Verse 21, he shall be a vessel of what? Honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Notice the three things that personal purity does. First of all, it sets you apart to God. You'll be a vessel sanctified, set apart. When you make your life clean and pure before God, God sets you apart unto himself to be used by him. Many believers are set on the shelf and cannot be used of God because of sin in their life. Though they may be greatly gifted and talented and have a lot to offer and be greatly used of God because of sin, God cannot or not use them. Personal purity sets you apart of God. Number two, it says meet for the master's you means suitable, enables him to be useful. Personal purity, number two, enables him to be useful of God. It sets him apart unto God. 
It enables him to be useful to God. The word meet means suitable, set apart, suitable for God's use. And number three, the third thing that personal purity does, it makes you ready for God's work. The latter part of verse there, verse 21, it says, and prepared unto every good work. If a Christian, a man and woman, would purge, thoroughly cleanse himself from the sin of this world, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart unto the Lord, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. My friend, if it's your desire to be used of God, you need to be available, you need to be faithful, and need to have, practice personal purity. Number three, number three, we saw the person that God uses. We saw the qualities necessary to be used of God. And number three, the believer's first step. The believer's first step. Go with me now to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans 12. I think I told you to turn in there. My uh, 10th and 20th anniversary of my high school graduation, I was not even invited. Somebody found out in my 40th anniversary, I got invited. <laughs> I don't know why, but anyway. <laughs> the first step, as a Christian, if, I, if you want to be used of God, what's the first step you need to take? We saw the one God calls, the one God has cho chose, we saw the uh, qualities necessary. What's the first step I need to take, Pastor? If I want to be used of God for his honor and glory, the first step. Look in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Many of you know these verses by heart. But here we have the first step a believer must take to be used of God. Verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, speaking to Christians, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thing you need to do is make a presentation. Make a presentation. The presentation of yourself. Notice Paul speaking to Christians. And he, he used a very strong word. He said, I beseech. The word beseech means to implore to beg. He is imploring, begging, beseeching believers, now that you're saved, to present themselves to God for service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The word by the mercies means in view of. He's looking back at the cross, looking at what God displayed, his mercy towards a sinner by sending his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin. In view of the mercies God displayed at the cross towards you as a sinner, in view of that, God said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me give you some details about this presentation. First of all, it is a living presentation. God's not calling you to die for him, though many Christians have died for Christ. He's calling you to live for him. He didn't say a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now, the problem with a living sacrifice, a couple of things. First of all, it's harder to live for Christ than to die for him. So what do you mean, Pastor? Dying for Christ is a one-time decision. It's done. To live for Christ every single day. It could take months. It could take years. It could take a lifetime. So that's more difficult. So God's calling upon you, those of you who are saved, 
now that you're saved, come back to God and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I will present myself to be a, what kind of sacrifice? Living. Another thing about this sacrifice, this presentation, not only a living presentation, it's a holy presentation. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. It goes back to the idea of being physically and morally pure. The third thing about the presentation, it's a pleasing presentation. It says acceptable unto God. The works out means pleasing. It pleases God when his people come back, present themselves to serve the Lord. This is not a decision for salvation. It's those who are already saved, who come back to God, say, God, I'm so glad you saved me. I'm so glad I've been forgiven. I have eternal life. Lord, because of all you did for me, I want to live for you. I want to present myself to you to be a living sacrifice. The fourth characteristic of this presentation is a reasonable presentation. A reasonable presentation. It says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Look at me, please. Since all that Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, how he suffered and bled and died for you, is he being unreasonable asking you to live for him? Not at all. I find he died for you. Can't you live for him? So many Christians don't have time or can't do that. But God's calling upon those that are saved now to do that. You know who the most unreasonable person in the world is? It's a Christian who's living for himself. I find it's unreasonable. God is not, it's not out of reason. It's not, it is fallen reason. It's logical. Now that you're saved, that you would give your life and live it for Christ. So the first step of a believer who wants to be used of God is to make a presentation, letter B. The second one is to experience a transformation. To experience a transformation. Look what it says in verse 2 there, please. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. The word transform begins, first of all, inwardly. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your what? You know what changes the life of a Christian? Of course, it begins with salvation. But as that one who's saved begins to feed upon the word of God, when he fills his mind, his thinking, when he begins to think the way God thinks, as a man thinketh in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. And so as I begin to think the way God thinks, it will change my life. To be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. That's when a Christian begins to change. This change, transformation, begins inwardly, then the results are seen outwardly. The results are seen outwardly. We do not need to turn there, but I'll give you a verse here on the screen. Matthew 17 is the verse that deals with the transfiguration of Christ. We transfigured himself outwardly uh, for his disciples to see his glorified body. It says this in Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up in the high mountain apart, verse 2, and was transfigured, that means transformed, before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. He was transformed outwardly. So basically, this transformation begins where? Inwardly. But as I change inwardly, I begin to change outwardly. My behavior, my conduct, my actions will change as a result of this transformation. So if I want to be used of God, there needs to be a presentation 
you will experience a transformation. And let us see, lastly, you'll come to know revelation. You will come to know a revelation. The revelation of God's will for life. Quite often I'm asked, Pastor, what is God's will for my life? Here's how you find it. You need to make a presentation of yourself as a sacrifice, living sacrifice. Then you'll experience a transformation by feeding upon God's word. Then you'll come to know revelation. It says, goes on to say, the latter part of verse 2, that you may prove. The word prove means to recognize, to scrutinize, to discern. Come to know. You may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, you will discover God's will for your life. Now, please listen. As a believer, those that know Christ as Savior, if it's your desire to be used of God, the first step you need to take, get along with God by yourself and say, God, I'm so grateful what you've done for me. I'm so grateful for my salvation. I'm so grateful I'm going to heaven. Because of all you did for me, though I deserve hell, you gave me heaven. I want to give myself to you in service. I want to live for you. I want to be used by you. You need to make a presentation. Then you need to experience a transformation as you feed upon God's word. Then you're going to receive a revelation. God lets you know exactly what his will for your, your life is. So that you may prove that which is acceptable, perfect will of God. There's three things that describe God's will. Three words. Don't miss them now because I'm going to show you this in the, in the Old Testament. The first word is the word good that you may prove, come to know that which is that good will of God. God's will is always good and what is best for your life. The second word, acceptable, means pleasing. God's will makes your life pleasing to God. The third word is the word perfect. The word perfect means complete or not, nothing lacking. His will completes what God desires in and for you. So if you want to find out what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, you need to present yourself to him. Listen, please. As a Christian is transformed in his mind, he comes to know and desire God's will for his life. Then he discovers that God's will is that which is good for him, that it pleases God, that it's complete in every way. All he needs to do is, first of all, take the first step, presenting himself to God. Let me close with this, please. God is looking for people to use. God wants to use you. Now, we saw not many that are chosen to use. Not many are called, not many chose, but God has chosen a certain group. We saw the requirements, the necessities. But I want you to look on the screen there, please. A verse in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 22, verse 20, please. Ezekiel 22. Look at this verse. God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, that should stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But what was the answer? I could find none. God's looking for people to use. He's had a difficult time finding them because many of them will take the credit for what God does in their life. Many of them are soiled and impure because of sin in their life. God's looking for people and cannot find them. He said, I sought for a man or a woman that should make up the hedge and stand in the what? Gap. How do you spell gap? G-A-P. When you give your life to Christ and transform your life, you're going to find that which is good, G, and acceptable, A, and perfect, P, will of God. 
you'll be able to stand in the gap. Amen? Amen. My friend, do you want to be used of God? Now, I said all that, and I'm going to close with this. This is the principle of usefulness. I believe there are many here today that desire to be useful. Many of you are useful. Many of you understand what I've been talking about. But some of you have took the world's standards and measured yourself by and said, God can't use me. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the ability. I'm a nobody. God can't use me. Therefore, you have not stepped out and want to be used of God. You need to realize, you're just the person God's chosen. You're the one God wants to use. Your job is present yourself back. Lord, here I am. Nothing I have to offer. You take what I am, what little I am. I want to be used to you. My friend, God will use you greatly. You need to present yourself to be a living sacrifice, wholly accepted on him, which is a reasonable service. So Christian, have you ever done that before? Have you ever taken the first step? Now that you're saved, have you ever acknowledged how wonderful and grateful you are to God? And show that gratefulness now to give yourself back to him for service? Many of you have. Some of you have, but got away from it. Your life does not show that you've given yourself to God. Your life does not show that you are a servant of God. There's a time in your life you did that, but you got away from it. You've fallen away. Maybe use the word, you have backslidden. You're still saved, you're still going to heaven, but there's not much evidence in your life. My friend, you can get that right today. We close with the idea of a sacrifice. A sacrifice that we need to make to God to live for him. A living sacrifice. Let me clo- close your Bibles, please. We'll close with this. I'll be the first to be on the screen. Please don't misunderstand that you have to make some kind of sacrifice yourself to go to heaven. My friend, the Bible says salvation is a gift. It's given freely. There's no sacrifice on your part to get there. We go to heaven because of the sacrifice he made. The sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. A verse you'll see on the screen. Ephesians 5, 2. Christ also hath loved us and given himself for an offering and a what? Sacrifice to God. I'm going to heaven because of the sacrifice Jesus made for me. Now that I'm saved, God is using me because of the sacrifice I made to him. And so I encourage you, if you're not saved, receive Christ as your sacrifice on the cross and go to heaven. If you are saved, have you ever took the first step to present yourself to serve him? Let's bow together, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to do something a little different than normal this morning as your pastor. I believe there are many at First Baptist Church that want to be used of God. They saw the person God chooses. They saw that God should get the glory. They saw the necessary requirements, and you may be, want to be used of God. Have you ever, since you are saved, given yourself to God to be a living sacrifice? If not, I'm going to call upon you to do that today. If you have, and you've got away from it, and your life does not show that you're serving the Lord, why not renew that decision today? Maybe here today and you have trusted Christ, you're going to heaven, you're serving the Lord, you're useful to God, thank or praise the Lord for that. But if you're a Christian and you have never given your life to him in service, you've never done what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, present your body to living sacrifice, you'd like to do that today.
As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand right where you're at, please? If you've never did it before, we'd like to do it today. Would you stand right where you're at, please? I'm a Christian pastor, but I've never given myself to him to serve. Would you stand where you're at, please? You want it all. Pastor, I've trusted Christ. I want to serve the Lord, but I've never presented myself a living sacrifice. If you've never done that before, I'd like to do it. Would you stand right where you're at, please? Heads are bowed and eyes still closed. Come and say, Pastor, I've done that before. But Pastor, I've got away from it. I'm not living like a living sacrifice. I'm not living a holy, acceptable life to him. I'd like to renew that decision today. If that's your decision, would you stand right where you're at, please? If you'd like to renew that today, you've got away from the Lord, I'd like to rededicate your life to him, would you stand where you're at, please? Yes and yes. Anybody else? Yes. God bless you. Yes. Stand up and remain standing, please. If you know Christ as Savior and you've got away from the Lord, you've, one time you've dedicated your life, but you've got away from that, like to renew that dedication, to dedicate yourself for fresh new, stand to your feet, please, right where you're at. Right where you're at. Remain standing, please. Many of you have already trusted Christ. You've already given yourself and you're serving the Lord. If you'd like to let the Lord know that you're going to continue to do that, be faithful. Would you stand to your feet, please? Would you stand to your feet, please? You want to be faithful and keep on serving the Lord? Please stand to your feet, please. Amen. Amen. Before I pray, look around you, please. Look around you. These are the ones that are saved that want to serve the Lord. Some stood renewing that. Many are standing to re, uh, let you know they've done that. Let's bow together. Remain standing, but please, I'll pray, and I'll have you sit back down. Father, we thank you that so many across the room here that acknowledge their salvation, but Father, have want to now serve you. So many have done that before, made that decision, but got away from it, and they're rededicating their life to you. So many have done that and are serving the Lord, but just want to let you know they want to continue to be a servant used of you. So, Father, I ask that you bless them. They're standing in a very powerful way. Use them in a mighty way. May Land Lakes be a different place because of these people and the desire to be used by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I've been speaking to those that are saved, but maybe there's someone here today that's not saved, someone by watching by live stream, and maybe you have some kind of idea that I'm going to go to heaven because of some sacrifice I make to God. Because something I give up, something I have to do that I may be forgiven. My friend, please don't misunderstand. We're going to heaven not because of any sacrifice we make. We'll go to heaven because of the sacrifice he made. God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you. His son gave his life for you. And through his sacrifice, you can be saved. Through his sacrifice, you can be forgiven. Through his sacrifice, you can have eternal life. Your part is to believe it. Your part is to receive as the one who did that for you. And when you do that, God gives you eternal life. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. So if you've never trusted Christ, I would plead with you to do that today. But those of you who have, I thank God for you. My friend, God is looking for people to use. I think he found a bunch here today. God bless you. Pastor Self, you'd come, please. I want to close with this hymn. Please come back tonight. We're going to do part two of this message on the principle of usefulness. Please join us tonight. Let's stand together, please. We're going to close with this hymn. Please join us tonight for the evening service. <laughs>